Blog Talk Radio. Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
347-9143. Please be patient with me. Press the number one on your telephone keypad. This will virtually raise your hand, and I will unmute your mic and bring you into the conversation momentarily. Indeed, it is in this day and in every day that we should, and indeed in my house, we do give honor and acknowledgement to the ancestors. It is the ancestors, the mighty shoulders of great ancestors, of whom shoulders we now stand upon, of whom our foundation is firmly planted within. And for those of you who are new to the concept, our ancestors exist in your blood, it's in your DNA. Indeed, science has caught up to the voodoo and understanding that ancestral memory indeed survives in the blood. So whether we acknowledge or not, whether we give ceremony and ritual or not, our ancestors are ever present in all that we say and do and think, and, and, and often how we act and move and maneuver in this world. So indeed, on a day like today, for some it's a, it's a holiday, for others it's a celebration, a commemoration, a continued memorialization of those who have indeed gone before us, our great mothers and our great fathers, those ancestors indeed, both known and unknown. We should give them acknowledgement every day. We, we should give them acknowledgement, you know, routinely, regularly, ritually, but, but indeed on a day like All Saints Day, on a day like the Day of the Dead, many of us are moving and operating in that energy that resides in that, that twilight world between this reality and the next, or, or this dimensional space and yet another. And so we keep our ancestors alive, as we always have, back to the ancient of times, by breathing their names, speaking their names, remembering the good times, remembering those memories that give us life, and sometimes remembering those moments that give us the lessons and that give us the wisdom. Often we sort of conflict the, the relationship we have with relatives with how we acknowledge ancestors. It's a question that uh, I'm often presented with uh, routinely. How do I, you know, address the mother, the father that, you know, I don't have a relationship with or I fell out with or or have a damaged and, and, and broken relationship with. And, and indeed, as a part of our healing, a part of our shadow work, a part of our therapeutic work, we at some point have to shine light into the darkest of our, of our corners. But, but in just the conversation of ancestral work and divination, understand that we are speaking first to something that is innate and inherent in who we are. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA. It's in the very uh, inner workings of our of our being, whether it be known or unknown. I'm often um, surprised and amazed at how much uh, people resemble relatives that they have had no real life experience with. Uh, children who get separated from from the parents, you know, the father, the mother, sometimes indeed the family. 
of those who are adopted, who, who have little to no knowledge of their blood relations. And so it makes it that much trickier to distinguish sometimes what is indeed organic to our individual light, our individual personality, as opposed to that which we are still operating out of subconscious uh, lack of awareness uh, to our ancestral uh, DNA chain, to our blood chain. So today, as in many days, and particularly uh, in our community, uh, it's something about Halloween, October really, on to the remaining, you know, months and days and weeks of the year that we focus a great deal more on family, community, holidays, celebration, gift giving, coming together. Uh, And depending on where you live in the world, Halloween is just the beginning of that uh, for us here in New Orleans. Halloween is a big deal here leading up to this um, great Catholic city, uh, which acknowledges All Saints and All Souls Day, November 1st and November 2nd. Uh, so it was appropriate that I, as I've been doing for the last 12 years that I've been doing the podcast, that I would indeed acknowledge the days, but also the importance of those days and how they play out in our communities. Uh, if I haven't already acknowledged you, please welcome, greetings, Jay Lynn, Chef Bougie, S. Marie, Alex Williams, come on in. Come one, come all. I welcome you. I greet you. Thank you so much for spending your day, the middle of your day here with the Divine Prince, House of the Divine Prince, Type Potion, Hoodoo Central, in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors, and, and many of you among my listening audience. And those who came before us along this Hudu Obeya life path and journey, passing down the great Obeya stick along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, minerals, and indeed the important holidays, calendar days that mark our journey and mark our ceremonial activities each season, each season. So I welcome you. I greet you this All Saints Day, this Day of the Dead. Greetings, um, Angela. Welcome, welcome, beloved. Thank you all for taking the time to stop here and, and share with me this Monday, November 1st, 2021. As always, sharing with you from this beautiful, historic, enchanted, and some would say most haunted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, land of my ancestors and those who came before us and before me along this spiritual journey. So I want to start with a little bit of history. Uh, Please be patient with me on the phone lines. Um, If I'm familiar, I think I know who's on the phone line, so just bear with me. I'll be with you momentarily. We, you know, as indigenous, aboriginal descendants of the world, have always acknowledged uh, death culture, burial rituals, the funerary process. And and indeed, that immediate moment and and sometimes the weeks or even months thereafter 
uh, that go into death culture, preparation of the body, you know, preparation of the ceremony, the, the funerals, the repast. Uh, in more modern times, you know, acquiring, um, um, you know, sometimes expensive services, insurance, uh, and of course, always tomb and location and, and, and physical relationship to to the dead and where we lay our our dead to rest. But there's also that tradition, that death culture that has grown and has sprung up around the transition process from this life to the next that is indeed unique and often specific to geographic, to location. Uh, I take a moment to brag that I'm most certainly honored and grateful and thankful uh, to live in the city of, of New Orleans where death culture is on display each and every day. People come from all over the world to experience our above-the-ground tunes, our above-the-ground uh, cemeteries. No matter how political uh, <laughs> the, the, the ground has become in terms of accessing some of our uh, beloved tombs and, and cemeteries, but indeed it is a location that is on uh, many itineraries of visitors who come here to the city of, of, of New Orleans. But indeed, I live in and around and am a part of death culture when you understand the dynamics of second line culture. Those who are unfamiliar, uh, you may have heard the reference the jazz funeral, uh, which is sort of an American language usage for what we call uh, second line. And indeed, the first line is, is a bit of a dirge for my musical experts listening among us, a, a much more slow, you know, even-paced, you know, movement, um, you know, just a closer walk with thee. It's much more slowed down, it's much more subdued, and, and, and the, the group, those who are participating in the funeral, Sometimes the family, sometimes the casket, uh, sometimes the, the, the funeral car itself, uh, the, the horse-drawn carriage uh, is a part of, you know, sort of the dirge. And then what follows that first line is what is more popularized as the second line, uh, which is a more of the upbeat tempo and your brass bands and your drums and people coming out, you know, from their homes and, and from the community to acknowledge and honor you know, the person that's passed on, whether they know the individual or not, but to indeed to acknowledge the dead and the ancestors who indeed have and continue to to pass on. And it's a tradition that's unique to Treme. It's unique to New Orleans uh, culture and, and community. Uh, and it's one of the things that continues to keep me in love uh, with my city. Uh, but we also acknowledge death culture, in the darkness of Mardi Gras morning uh, when the skull and bones come out. Uh, so if you have heard me talk about the skull and bones, these, these are people in our community who mask as skull and bones, often in, in black, dark-out suits uh, with, with uh, skull and bone um, painted on, um, makeup, mask, often a mask, you know, and their goal is sort of, twofold, often like the tricksters 
within our tradition to teach and, and, and impart wisdom, but also to give a, a sense of a warning, uh, to put a little bit of fear in, into those who would otherwise not be paying attention to sort of the realities and the weather, you know, of life. And indeed, you could be next, which is a, a popular refrain that these skull and bones will shout at you on, you know, Mardi Gras morning in the, in the darkness of Mardi Gras morning. You next. You next. So we acknowledge uh, death culture sort of outright and in the open in, in New Orleans, uh, as opposed to the much more uh, mundane and sort of quiet and, and, and indeed private uh, celebrations and commemorations that happen in other, not just other cultures, but in other regions of, of, our, of our country. Greetings, chat. Greetings, 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 Tasha. Welcome, welcome. Come on in, Dark Soul Jewel. If I haven't acknowledged you, please forgive me. Welcome, welcome. This is All Saints Day, Day of the Dead. We're going to talk about altar tables and setups and feeding the ancestors. And hopefully some of you will call in. We have one caller with their hands hand raised. Hopefully, uh, greetings, Brother Gumbo. Um, Kevin Brooks, come on in. Welcome, welcome. Uh, hopefully you will call in, ask your questions, comments, share your experiences uh, with death, with the dead, with, with the culture of all saints, all souls, uh, or just stories, you know, within the dynamics of your, your uh, family traditions. Thank you, Kevin Brooks. I appreciate everyone who tries to catch me live. Uh, I know I'm not always as consistent as I once was, but I try to be here every day. I most certainly try not to miss a Monday. Um, and, and if I can't be here every day, I try to be here every day. <laughs> but I'm grateful for those of you who listen to me in archive, who continue to come up, come and show, show up and show out during the live. Uh, I certainly appreciate you, and I invite you to join me both on the phone at area code 845-277-9143. A caller, I'll be with you momentarily, area code 954. I'll be with you momentarily. And you can also join me here uh, by attaching your webcam and your mic and following the StreamYard link um, now present on the screen. So that's then... Funerary rituals in in Africa are deeply rooted in the cultural beliefs, traditions, and indigenous religious. Ooh, excuse me, religious um, indigenous religions of the continent. They are guided by Africans' views of existence after death and the power and role of the deceased ancestor. Rituals evolve through the infusion of. Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and of course, modern changes to world culture and society. But traditional themes survive in Africa and among African descendants within the diaspora, the Caribbean, and of course, here in the Americas. According to the Macmillan Encyclopedia of Death and Dying, death rituals in Africa are to ensure that the deceased is properly put to rest. So his spirit is at peace, and he can take his place among the protective ancestors. 
Rituals are as much a celebration of the role of the dead as it is the mourning of those who are passing or have passed on. The right burial ensues that the ensures that the ancestors don't remain to haunt or interfere in a, in a negative way, uh, and we sort of see that as a spiritual uh, demonstration. But understanding how ancestral memory survives in our blood, we can also now interpret that just a little bit more literally today, ensuring that the generational curse ends with us, whether it's in diet, whether it's in food choices, our our attitude towards our health, our our attitude towards our roles uh, in in the family as, as men and women, and indeed our attitude towards our commitments and our in our roles within uh, the dynamics of, of the greater village. So sort of the belief that we can, you know, provide the right burial circumstance to not only send the soul off, you know, into the next life at rest and at peace, but to prevent that soul from interfering in our waking living existence uh, in any way that we deem not healthy or not beneficial. Uh, this belief comes from a, a common African concept that life and death are indeed a continuum of existence, and with death seen as just another state of our being, just a, a, a inter, intra-dimensional transition from one state of reality to another. And so in death, the whole person still exists, but now inhabits a spirit world, and he can be reincarnated sometimes into other people or several other people. And particularly when there is work said undone, left undone within the dynamics of a a bloodline or or lineage. If the deceased is not buried correctly or a person lived a life of dishonor, his ghost can remain as a part of the world of the living and wander around and cause harm. Uh, from a quantum metaphysical perspective, we know that all energy created at the Big Bang, created at the beginning of creation and existence, exists indeed for infinity. It's just uh, recycled. It's just moved around a bit. So that energy has to go somewhere, has to be placated, uh, appeased in some way, and, and then reintegrated into the the cosmic balance of energy in a way that then shows up somewhere else in a in a beneficial uh, manner. In addition, witches, sorcerers, and the undeserving may be denied a proper burial uh, in many old world uh, cultures and traditions, indigenous and aboriginal cultures and and traditions. Uh, They are indeed denied that honor of being a part of the community of ancestors a place highly valued in African culture and, and belief. So the question of the the quote unquote bad ancestor or, or the ancestor or the dead relative that did egregious things during the course of their their lifetime, we don't seek to sort of keep them alive, cause their energy to hang around, uh, cause their spirit, you know, to help us or assist us, you know, in in any way other than to move beyond that block, that issue, that complication. Indeed, sending the spirit on into the spirit realm, into the great uh, uh, heavens, depending on your religion, purgatory, 
perhaps, to sort of be buffeted, re- refined, reshaped, uh, renewed, and, and then on somewhere else into the into the universe. Uh, but indeed, to remove that genetic footprint uh, from the family to the best of our ability, so that it does not reform as the generation curse, as something that now, 400 years later, we are still suffering, you know, PTSD and 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 all the other symptoms that that come from, you know, centuries of white supremacy and and racism and slave trading and and uh jim crow and and, and many other uh, uh historic conditions that we as descendants of the of middle passage here in in the americas have had to endure and i understand and i respect and i indeed uh take great honor in my international audience but i'm speaking with the understanding that all of my listeners aren't quite clear on this background aren't quite clear on this history. This is not talked about. Uh, this is not a point of conversation uh, as frequently in other parts of the world as it is indeed uh, here in, in the U.S. Uh, it, it is a discussion indeed all over the world, but I, I think for us uh, descendants of the Middle Passage, we tend to have a sort of a tunnel vision, if you will, that has created um, some of the conspiracy theories and, and diverse ways of viewing uh, our history that we now are, are sort of confronted with uh, today. Uh, the idea that, you know, it's all a hoax and that we somehow uh, are from here. Um, indeed, if, if that's true, you know, in the context of acknowledging ancestors, we all have uh, a globe often of ancestors present uh, within our DNA. I just looked at my Ancestry.com uh, results earlier this morning, um, which have recently been updated, by the way, if you have not uh, signed into your Ancestry.com uh, recently. And I'm indeed still predominantly, uh, in terms of country and nation, and understand these nations are artificial constructs as opposed to ethnic groups. They're indeed artificial constructs as, as opposed to um, the more um, appropriate national boundaries that existed in these countries, if indeed these countries existed uh, during the time of, of the Middle Passage. But as we understand the countries and the nations of today, I'm still predominantly uh, Nigerian. Uh, 35% of my, my blood history and DNA can be found in Nigeria. Uh, 18% in the Cameroon, Congo, and Western Bantu peoples. Uh, 12% Ivory Coast and Ghana. 10% Benin, Congo. 8% Mali. Uh, 2% Senegal. Um, and so in, we continue to carry the, the memory and the residual energy of our ancestral heritage, our ancestral footprint uh, within the confines of our our blood. What continues to grow and evolve and change is indeed our our religions, our individual religious and cultural perspective, uh, you might say our traditions, and our rituals. Thank you, our Dark Soul Jewel, 
Um, and then, of course, modern, you know, availability of, of supplies and resources and, and, and information. And so we're all, you know, sort of gifted an opportunity to grow. And greetings, um, G. Ann Henry, uh, and, and revive this tradition within our own families. Uh, some of you, you know, eat in the cemetery on All Saints Day. I know this is a common practice in uh, Mexico, for instance, um, uh, Day of the Dead celebrations in Mexico. Uh, it's my understanding they celebrate all night in in Mexico and, and feed uh, the ancestors, wash the tombs, uh, bring new flowers, uh, care for the plants, you know, and, and really are out in the environment of celebration. Uh, we see in Haitian voodoo uh, ceremonies, very unique and specific ceremonies that occur in the cemeteries uh, right up close in the in in the physical cities of the dead, uh, you know where we leave the remains in the body. We understand the spirit now exists in, in a different plane of of reality and or existence. And depending on the legends and the traditions of your geographic location and community, uh, those spirits are said to come back uh, to uh, witness some of the celebrations indeed that take place on, on Day of the Dead and All Saints and All Souls Day, uh, just as we would expect uh, some spiritual acknowledgement when we pour libation, uh, for instance, to the um, awareness of, of those who've gone uh, sort of before us. Um, somehow in, in, in a Christian context, when you are uh, eating the body and, and, and drinking the blood, the, the sacrament of, of communion. Um, you, you're sort of taking in, you know, symbolically, if you will, in, in the spirit realm, if you indeed believe as such, um, are taking in the pieces of, of a corpse, eating the dead, uh, consuming. And we talked about cannibalism, I believe, on the last uh a podcast, someone was asking a question about uh, cannibalism, cannibalism in Africa, uh, modern Africa, but also in um, indigenous, you know, lesser regulated uh, Africa and, and indigenous parts of the world. And, and we've seen human humanity go through uh, various cycles and, and recycles of, of behaviors and traditions um, that we uh, either revive certain aspects of, you know, for their strength and their importance, their meaning, you know, or we evolve beyond uh, because we don't, you know, identify uh, the same, you know, anymore with, with the practice, with the tradition. And, of course, religion then get involved uh, in what is a proper burial, what is a right burial. Uh, there's a Christian burial now. There's a Muslim or Islamic uh, proper burial. Uh, there's a Judaic proper burial, and, and I perhaps uh, expect as we continue to evolve as, as a country, as a society, as a people, uh, we'll begin to see more Ifa-specific uh, burials, more burials here that um, resonate with with the past. Um, I'm having flashes of Ghana right now with brightly colored, you know, coffins shaped like animals and race cars and, and other uh, whimsical, you know, characters. So the, the death culture 
continues to evolve as people continue to evolve, change, and grow. And the place and, and, and the reverence that we give to the dead uh, has everything to do with our education, our, our awareness, our exposure, our upbringing, but indeed our experience and, and what sort of um, response, what, what, what ther- cathartic, therapeutic, or, or even real-world um, satisfaction do we gain from, you know, continuing to acknowledge, uh, continuing to, to remember. I offer that it's indeed a, a human condition, and we've been acknowledging the dead, the dying, and those who passed on um, since time memorial and have been making uh, more permanent uh, markers and, and uh, demonstrations of that commitment um, as society continues to sort of move forward. I can't imagine, you know, as we run out of land, as we continue to evolve a different way of looking at, at land, um, how, you know, the, the human body might be disposed of, um, just that word disposed of, uh, moving forward, uh, maybe even 100, 200, 500 years uh, from, from now. In the vast continent of Africa, with its many countries and indigenous religions, the diverse ethnic groups or tribes have their variations of death rituals, even within a country. Uh, I often like to remind you there are over 200 ethnic groups just in the country of, of Nigeria. More than the Euro. It's more than the Yoruba. 200. <clears throat> However, there are some similarities in the basic themes because of shared traditional beliefs about the dead and reverence for the ancestors and outline of the South African Hausa tribe rituals from President Nelson Mandela's 2013 funeral illustrates uh, some basic customs that are universal, if you will, to how we acknowledge the dead in the Pan-African or even in the ATR, traditional African religious, spiritual, adhering communities. African death rituals being uh, began by preparing the home soon after a person dies and receiving people who come to pay their respects to the dead. According to the Macmillan Encyclopedia of Death and Dying reference, home rituals often include uh, turning all pictures to face the wall and covering all mirrors, windows, and reflective surfaces so the dead can't view themselves. Uh, this was a practice that was really common um, in the deep south uh, back in the day. You, you'd find fabric or cloth or, or, or black lace even, you know, thrown over uh, the, the mirrors and the reflective surfaces uh, throughout the house to, um, again, prevent uh, the newly dead who might otherwise um, have some conflict uh, with just coming into the reality, the realization that they're now dead or, or on the other side and, and might create uh, some residual uh, problem for, for the living. So they would cover up reflective services and, and mirrors, which is a, a practice that goes all the way back to um, and can still be found throughout the Pan-African uh, communities globally. Uh, removing the bed that these uh, 
the deceased person either passed in or uh, slept in, holding vigils in the home where the whole community comes to pay respect and offer their condolences to the family. Uh, today we call those repasts, we call them wakes, you, you know, we have the family gatherings, you know, globally, where, wherever you are in the world. Um, it's a part of the universal uh, aspects of how we honor the, the dead. And indeed, something that can be seen in other ethnic groups and cultures, you know, throughout, throughout the world, throughout the aboriginal and, and indigenous world globally. In the period before the burial, when community mourners arrive at the home, there may be loud, distinctive crying. Uh, Tony Bell and I were talking about paid mourners. Uh, Denise Augustine and I were talking about paid spiritual mourners uh, from the indigenous and aboriginal cultures who would show up to ensure that the deceased received the amount of tears and wailing uh, and, and lamenting that the ancestors felt was justified uh, for the loss of, of, a, of a life, for the loss of a, of a loved family member, a beloved elder, a beloved friend or a community member or a great warrior. Uh, it was believed that they deserved uh, a certain amount of, of, of due, debt or pay, <laughs> you know, you develop a credit over, over the course of your life, and then at death, you know, there, there should be. And, and that still remains uh, prevalent in, in modern times. It, it's just now become how much, you know, did, did the casket cost? How much did you spend on flowers? How many people show up, you know, to, to the funeral, to the repast? Um, in, in, in some of the worst-case scenarios, how much drama um, happens at the funeral. I can remember, uh, unfortunately, back in Chicago, uh, back in the 80s, early 90s, it was too uncommon to see and witness uh, disturbances out uh, at and in and near the funeral homes, um, often over, you know, violence and, and, and family squabbles. Uh, but indeed, light energy, dark energy finds its way often into these ceremonies, these spaces uh, of the dead. Uh, how many videos have we seen caskets being turned over? Uh, mourners out of uh, losing control of themselves, except the modern-day mourner is, is, is not necessarily getting uh, food and grain and, and beer <laughs> the way the paid mourners uh, of Kemet and ancient Egypt and Nubia uh, and Sudan may, may have received uh, payment, indeed, for their, for their mourning. And, of course, they're the more professional uh, hired uh, uh, death culture members. Uh, your, your band, here in New Orleans, we have the brass band, so you, you, you pay your band. Uh, you might have baby dolls present, uh, another cultural phenomenon unique to New Orleans. Uh, you might have a Mardi Gras Indian uh, bearers to sort of guard the spiritual energy around uh, the body in, in the casket at, at, a, at a ceremony. Uh, there's the food components that are just as ancient uh, in, in its diversity as it is modern and new and what is available to us uh, today in terms of not just what we consume, 
in, in the celebration, the commemoration uh, of the dead, but that which we feed uh, the ancestors. And in some traditions, it's pork. Pork is a, is a staple uh, for, for the feeding of the dead. And in other cultures and traditions, it might be, you know, East African might be indeed a cow, the sacrificing of a cow. Uh, in some ceremonies, goat, you know. So these traditions, though ancient, uh, some would say archaic, um, continue to survive, continue to live on, continue to sort of uh, evolve and, and, and renew themselves and, and indeed uh, stay prominent in human uh, culture, tradition, and, and, and evolution. And it's just a curiosity uh, for me as to what this might look like in 200 years, uh, in 500 years, beyond technologies that none of us can even just imagine in, in our imaginations right now. Uh, where the bodies might be uh, removed to or deposited to or how the bodies might be uh, indeed utilized. It's been rumored that the mummification of bodies uh, was a transference of energy and that the said pyramids of, of Giza were generated and that by using certain bombs and certain uh, uh, combinations of, of wrapping and, and layering a heat is created uh, within the body uh, and, and within the confines of the resins and, and, and the wrapping. And so it's rumored that there, there's a, a relationship between the generation of energy or transmuting the bodies into pure energy so that they can then be released uh, indeed into the cosmos. Uh, we know there's a, diverse, a diversity of opinion about cremation and how we indeed view the cremations. Some see the body as indeed just a vessel. Uh, some see the body as, as a, uh, a deterrent uh, to, to the body and, and the spirit separating. And, and so some people believe in cremation to sort of fuel, speed up the process of, of eliminating the, the DNA and the inner energy in the physical body and returning that to nature into the universe and, and freeing up, indeed, the spirit. So we will always have a diversity of approaches and outlooks and uh, traditions and rituals around uh, the death and dying process as, as it relates to humanity. Until we get, you know, extraterrestrial facts and proof, right now it's just humanity. Um, and we're doing good just to figure out nature uh, as it relates to us and, and animals and and bacteria and, and fungi and, and other living forms here on our on, on our planet. Um, let me check in with my phone line. Greetings. Um, I'm going to always call out an area code. In this case, nine five four nine five four. I'll call it out at least three times before opening. Okay, maybe you're just listening, um, Erica 954. Your hand was raised, so I thought maybe you had a question or a comment, but you have a lot of background noise. Uh, maybe you're working it from home right now. I don't know, uh, but I'll check back in with you um, indeed in a moment. Greetings, Teresa Harris, another one of my blood sisters. Hello, beloved. 
She and I look a lot alike, don't we? <laughs> Good afternoon, beloved. I'm proud of you as well. The I survivor, nine lives. Girlfriend, you already know. <laughs> Come on in. Thank you, and thank you for stopping by, Teresa, on this All Saints Day, this Day of the Dead uh, that are practiced uh, among many people around the world, not just Africans and, and Voodoo, but the Catholics acknowledge All Saints Day. Um, many other cultures, practices, traditions acknowledge the dead. Uh, Halloween night, midnight, going into November 1st and November 2nd, and, and so we're sharing that a little bit today and hopefully to get more of you to share your experiences with death culture. Uh, Dark Soul Jewel's mother, Deep South, Louisiana, would cover their mirrors. Uh, the Infinite One Live was just saying we need more weeping Wanda. Yes, remember Wanda from Good Times? That was an uh, appropriation, a, a, a synchronizing of, of death culture representation into pop culture TV. And so Wanda from Good Times, she was the one, if, you know, those of you from our generation, <laughs> if you're younger than us, you can always watch it, I think, on YouTube or Hulu or somewhere. Good Times, look for Weeping Wanda. She would always show up and cry no matter who died. It didn't matter if they were related to her. It didn't matter. She didn't know who they was. She was there, and, and she was a, a active living representative of death culture, and her job was to come and wail and to mourn, and she always dressed appropriately and had her, her handkerchief and her veil, you know, costuming. And, um, you know, of course, there were perks to, to death culture mourners. Remember, in the ancient world, they were fed. They were paid. So Wanda always ate the food. She she always discussed the delicacies of the food that were available. Uh, remember, there was an abundance of pickle pig feet, of which she was thrilled at, at James's funeral. Um, you know, of course, there's the exchanging of liquor and, and, and libations, uh, which has taken on, you know, pop cultural nuances, but continues to be a, a real thing that we do and acknowledge in ATR. Uh, and that is indeed the pouring of libation, water libation, but also the offering of liquor, rum, uh, and, and various forms of liquor, liquors, depending on region, um, and, and of course, purpose, and of course, purpose. But, but we can see, you know, liquor uh, not only being a part of death culture, you know, the, the funeral, the repast the coming together of the family and the community, uh, but also the libation, the ceremony, the ritual, the acknowledgement that the, the spirit lived on beyond beyond uh, uh, the body. I just had a flash of, of truth, you know, the baptism as we know it um, is it, sort of a, a form of a libation, sort of acknowledging the life. You know, except you're just dipped in the water, uh, and in the, in the cases of infants and in, in the Catholic version, you, you you sprinkle, you know, with the water, connecting us to that, you know, understanding the power of water. You know, no life survives, you know, without the water. But the liquor, 
Um, in, in the case of your sacrament, it's, it's the wine representing the blood, um, sort of reminds us of the fire and, and the strength and, and the challenge, and in some cases, the flavor, you know, of the realities of life and, and our, our reality. All life deserves to be indeed acknowledged, but in the modern context, um, it's now often contingent on does the family have insurance? Do the deceased have, have income? Are there revenues to, to, to bury? Um, that plays a much uh, greater role uh, just in some ways, uh, I believe, today, at least here in America, as to how we look at death, you know, death culture and dying, um, than how our ancestors and our, our predecessors would have sort of viewed the practice, the culture, and indeed the tradition. There's a popular photograph, um, The Infinite One Lives, I'm sure you've seen it, of um, uh, paid mourners in Egypt, uh, women, long hair, white garments, white veils, uh, with their hands, you know, in, in sort of that, that mourning position, um, and they were representative of uh, uh, paid mourners. Yeah, how they die. The weeping winders would, yeah, would always have ask how they die. Uh, did they suffer? Uh, was it sudden? <laughs> you know, uh, how many children did they have? Yeah, I know a weeping wander personally. Um, and because my whole community is watching right now, I won't call it by name, but some of y'all know exactly who she is. In fact, she wouldn't care if I called her name. Um, y'all know Merlene Weeping Wanda. Merlene is our local version of, of Weeping Wanda. And Merlene going to be at every possible second line, every possible uh, death culture event. Uh, she, she's going to know about it. She's going to participate in it. She's going to have somebody, one of her 77 first cousins that's related to them. Uh, she's she going to have all the details. That's interesting that God, God is initiative. C- candle magic. I, I see that. Yeah. Greetings, uh, Ms. Diva One from Tampa. Greetings, beloved. Welcome. Come on in. Uh, Craig Burns says burial has become less usual in the UK. People are going for cremation mainly. Okay, that's interesting. It's odd because we only burnt witches in the past. Yeah, that that's a, a cultural dichotomy for sure. Um, but I wonder if that is sort of a hint at where we're going. Um, indeed, where you know we run out of of, of space. Um, you know, there's some shocking things I could tell you about. You know, St. Louis Cemetery Number One, for instance. Uh, but I won't do it. I'll, I'll save that for the qualified uh, badge-wearing uh, uh, tour guides to sort of shock and, and, and amaze you with that. But you would be surprised, I will say. You'd be surprised the number of bodies um, present in, a, in an above-ground tomb here um, that, that have sort of passed through or have sort of gone through uh, that process. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised that... Uh, that uh, cremation has become sort of a 
almost a national norm in that case, um, Craig Burns. Yeah, and more of a disposal of the body. The uh, Yeah, because the acknowledgement of the life in that case, um, as I can only use my imagination, would have to be more conscious, more deliberate, um, and, and would involve, you know, the family, the, the, the you know, the living lo- uh, loved ones, or a person, you know, that the deceased uh, left behind, and their degree of commitment to um, preparing a ceremony, uh, maybe having a hall, um, cooking food, uh, you know, travel um, expenses. So uh, I would be curious to see, you know, sort of a scientific survey on that and, and exactly what has led up to that transition in the UK and, and if we indeed will see more of that uh, here uh, in the West, uh, in, in America, uh, in, in the Catholic community, in the Protestant community, in, in the religious community that up until this point, um, you know, held a great deal in having a body entombed in, 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 in a coffin, you know, in, in the ground or or in a stone tomb um, location. We saw that change and transform over time in ancient Egypt. So certainly it would change and transform in time uh, in sort of this modern Babylon. Um, it, it would certainly change and, and transform. Uh, we could look at places maybe like India even, uh, where cremation is, is the norm um, there. But we also know that they put a whole lot on uh, ancestral acknowledgement, ancestral ritual and, and ceremony. Uh, for all my godchildren, and, and in some cases even my clients, I know you all, ancestral shrines are just overloaded today on this All Saints Day of the Dead. Okay, Dark Soul Jewel. See, but you are local, so I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know you know what I'm talking about, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that for Denise Augustine and some of our other uh, local historians and tour guides who are supporters of my show. Let them tell that you know when people come in town uh, and take their little venture. Now I will get a little shady if you all don't mind. Um, you know, St. Louis Cemetery Number One, or so I've heard. So it's rumored. Uh, is, is removing Marie Laveau from the narrative altogether. Altogether. So they're taking this opportunity to, one, reduce who has access to the cemetery. First, it was a pandemic. Some would say there were other factors that came into play. But first, it was the, the cemeteries were shut, Catholic cemeteries. And, and I'm speaking specifically of St. Louis Cemetery Number One, Marie Laveau. Okay, now it's we will be opening. We will be reopening on a particular date, but you can only get in with the tour guide. And there's only one company, one rich white tour company, that's offering the tour. Furthermore, Marie Laveau is removed from the conversation. 
Now, how are they going to work that out in real time? How are they going to keep you all from asking questions about? I, I don't know. To, to, you know, I don't know how they're going to work that out. But, but it's rumored. Word over the, over the clothing line is, is that they're removing Marie Laveau and Voodoo from the conversation, from the narrative. Now, Dark Show Jew and I know that that's more, that's, that's going, that's more <laughs> easier said than done. That's more than an ocean. Marie Laveau is not the only, quote, unquote, voodoo component to the cemetery. Modern or historic. Some of y'all know what, locals know what I'm, some locals know what I'm talking about. So how they plan to sort of just erase not just, you know, Marie Laveau, but Voodoo from St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 at this point in history is just, you know, I, I, I don't know how that's going to happen. Um, so we will indeed continue to talk about it, discuss it, share it, teach it. Um, we have it document, documented. We, we have videos that will circulate forever unless they burn down YouTube. Uh, there will be photographs that will circulate forever. Um, many worldwide tourists, visitors, you know, have well documented uh, the voodoo and the Marie Laveau and, 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 and the Dr. John stories and, and, and the many other stories of voodoo that are, have been uh, sort of discussed in that cemetery. Uh, so that'll be an interesting one um, to watch. Yeah, how do you remove Marie from anything New Orleans? <laughs> and certainly the voodoo for that matter. And, 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 let's be, and let's be clear, you know, this voodoo here in this house is not contingent on Marie Laveau. It doesn't require Marie Laveau, Marie Laveau's story to really even be relevant. The voodoo was here since the first ship that arrived with our ancestors from the Bight of Benin. 90 years before, some say 100 years before the Haitian Revolution, which didn't bring in a whole bunch more voodoo, but forced what voodoo was here and the voodoo coming in to go deep, deep underground. Deep underground. Because that voodoo was associated with revolution. That, that voodoo was associated with maroonage. That, that us voodoo was associated with revolt. And, and so that's why the New Orleans brand of voodoo, Louisiana voodoo, was demonized from the very beginning so that you Negroes would not be provoked to revolution, would not be provoked to uprise, wouldn't be provoked to ask questions, wouldn't be provoked to, to stand up as opposed to sitting down. And, and, and the funny thing about that is it, it, it's now happening today, right now, but from a conscious level, spirit level, an energy level. And if you're a, a young person of a particular age, they're just not having it. They're just, they're just not buying the Bible story anymore. They're just not buying the church, the Islam, the Judaic, you know, the, the Mormonism, uh, in some cases even uh, uh Rasta, and, and it's over-reliance on its connection to, you know, the Bible and the scripture, 
uh, has been eroded away to some degree by pop culture. Uh, some fault Bob Marley for that, by the way. Some people fault Bob Marley. Not me. I'm just telling you the rumors that, that are afoot and have been for decades for bringing integration into dread culture, into, into roster culture, but also into sort of popularizing and, 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 and taking the sacredness out of the culture and making it that much more accessible uh, for the rest of the world. It's just a rumor, or so I've heard. Uh, yeah, Dark Sojua, and, and of course they have, you know, what they might consider legitimate reasoning for it, um, vandalism, uh, destruction of the cemetery, the cost, uh, having to renew tombs, repaint tombs, uh, the other tombs that are being damaged in, in some cases uh, in relationship to the, to the voodoo and, 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 and Marie Laveau. And the wannabes and said bees, witches and, and, and voodoos who, who come through there and do and create all kind of uh, problems for us in, in sort of the maintenance of, you know, oldest cemetery in, in the city. So, you know, they, they have what would be, um, you know, for, for limiting certain activities in the cemetery. And they have security. They have great security cameras. Maybe hire some real security, you know, to to uh, watch the space, you know. But um, to remove it from the conversation, you know, to remove it from the tour guide sort of talking point, that's the part that's, you know, weird. Kevin Brooks says it's just like Tennessee where they're removing black history from schools, they're not teaching black history anymore in Tennessee. Yeah, and they're associating it with, um, what's it called, radical, radical, uh, racist, what's it called? Somebody help me out. What are the Republicans calling that to make black history sound real, real bad? Uh, Chef Bougie offers something is definitely afoot. Sounds like they are preparing you guys, for for the gentrification that's already happening in this community. Um, yeah, check the mayor and her agenda. It's all tied together. And look at the tactics still working today as the guidance initiative offers. Angela Hamilton, maybe they feel threatened or insecure. Um, yeah, much like we were threatened, you know, and, and made to feel insecure by the uh, uh, the honoring of, of uh, Confederate soldiers and white supremacists. Yeah, well, you know, the Goddess Initiative, I also think it has to do with timing. Uh, the year decade that we were born in, history. Um, Shamafia says the revolution will not be televised. Our DNA is breaking the brick of obstruction. That I absolutely agree with, hands down, 100%, but you all already knew that I supported DNA in that way. 
Yeah, um, I think, you know, we were the product of the hippie generation. We were product of the 50s and the 60s. We were the product of the descendants of, of Marcus Garvey and the Marcus Garvey uh, era, uh, the Goddess Initiative. I'm not trying to give up your age or anything. I'm certainly, you know, sharing mine. Um, and so, yeah, there was a different, and we were caught in the middle in a way. We were almost the experimental generation. A lot of these concepts of civil rights, um, black power, liberation, freedom, um, the children of the 60s and the 70s were sort of the experimental generation of those dramatic changes as they were happening um, in, in society. Moving from, you know, the 40s and the 50s, Leave it to Beaver, um, the Lucille Ball show, Black and White, um, to, a, you know, now a, a, a society with uh, weakened racial boundaries, weakened sexual boundaries, more liberal um, political platforms. And so I don't think that the society as a whole really settled in to, you know, much of these, this growing process until right about the 90s, and, and then they began, along with technology and its effect, began to really uh, enjoy some of those things that generations even before them blood suffered and in many cases died for uh, and never had the opportunity to sort of see those things come to uh, fruition. Uh, the Colis 216 says they are whitewashing more of New Orleans history. Yes, yeah, so if they can keep lying, um, well, not just to us, but indeed to to the world. Uh, it is the world that comes here, you know, as opposed to the local tourist who's going to hear the stories, the tales, um, in some cases the fables, you know, that the tour guides offer to, you know, the Asian, the Brazilian, you know, the South African, you know, the Englishmen, the Irish, you know, who are coming here on, on these tours often. Uh, these are not the same historians who are teaching in the schools and, and, and the universities in many cases. But I indeed understand and, and accept your point. Uh, code is 216. Uh, Craig Burns offers that the pagan movement has become a spiritual outlet for lots of people in the UK. Christians and Islam still a strong influence on on many. Uh, yeah, uh, and I like your word usage, that the pagan movement. Um, there's so many movements I think happening simultaneously here in um, the U.S. So I don't know if we have one word for it, one sort of phraseology for it. I know within our community, I often speak of the Orisha romance, but there's many other things happening. There's a large segment of our community that's just absolutely obsessed uh, with Western uh, astrology, you know, and, and, and we see that every day, all day in, in Twitter, which seems to be a favorite platform for some reason for uh Black astrologers in, 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 in the social media platforms. 
And the goddess initiative says, was black history really ever in schools? Um, I offer that it is as unique and individual as the teacher, the educator, I'll say revolutionary, who's willing to take the risk. Often what happens is it's not because it's the platform of God's initiative. It's, it's often not because uh, the school says it's, it's the curriculum. And I could be speaking over generations right now because maybe teachers don't have the same degree of control over their curriculum today as my mother did in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Um, where, in my memory, teachers created their own curriculum. Now, now, it had to be approved or disapproved, you know, by your school board, but the teachers in the 60s, the 70s, 80s created their own sort of curriculum. Now, I can imagine that has changed in the last 20, maybe 30 years to some degree because of other influences, political, religious, you know, governmental influence on what can and cannot be read, uh, cyber book burning, virtual book burning, what can or cannot be talked about, um, critical race theory. That's, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Um, now we have this language, critical race theory. So it, it's a black history being done away with because of that. So back to Goddess Initiative's question, uh, my mother and many other educators that I, I'm aware of, took great risk, sometimes to their job, to their career, to their pension, to their health, um, psychological warfare, stress, um, in taking the risk of teaching authentic black and African history. Even in in the university level um, where pan-African history is indeed taught, African History is indeed taught. When we look at the background, the history and experience of the teachers and the educators who are doing that work, um, they're still, even today, and probably even more so today, uh, greatly challenged. Now that, you know, all it takes is one video and what you said is in the World Wide Web or, or one upload and what you shared in class as, as book material or text material, visual material is now, you know, out in the in stratospheres of the Internet. Um, so they may be even under a great deal more pressure today um, in terms of teaching black history in, in, in schools, particularly in public schools, um, and, and to what degree of uh, – detail they're, they're able to safely uh, go into. Uh, greetings, greetings, beloved. Rollins, welcome, welcome. Come on in. Peace and blessings. Thank you so much for always keeping up with us. I'll be glad when you give us an update about these trucks and why so many stores in certain regions are, are you know, experiencing these empty shelves. We know you have the inside scoop, Rollins. Uh, Dark Soul Jewel offers uh, Chef Fushi. I think the justification is, is going somewhere that they don't expect because there are more Hispanic people in this city than they ever expected. Oh, yeah. 
in every hood, there are many. Uh, yes, and as someone who, you know, born in Chicago, grew up in the DMV, um, have lived in every major city in America almost, um, I've seen a pattern. Just like I saw gentrification, white flight, that's a pattern. Starting in what, the, 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 the 60s? The 50s, the 60s, when blacks started, you know, becoming greater homeowners. Um, and, and so I've seen certain patterns sort of repeat themselves, you know, over time, sometimes over time, and then often over region. Yeah. And so when we look at jobs, for instance, construction, who's looking at who's getting construction work? And where? Beyond that of the, of the of the quote unquote white community, and that's where you're seeing a greater footprint of what you are suggesting, Dr. Joy. Absolutely, because they didn't have a wife, they have a family, they have children, they have relatives. They they often may start singularly, but often don't stay singularly at all. And, and grow in community and resources wherever they land. Uh, so we're absolutely seeing sort of an explosion in certain ethnic Hispanic communities here in New Orleans um, that you did not see uh, before Hurricane Katrina uh, even. Yeah, um, I, and I agree that it, it's not only a good thing, but it's inevitable. Yeah, they teach MLK till the end, but but it's inevitable, and and they will have to teach uh, Cesar Chavez and Sonia Sanchez and 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 and, and many other names uh, moving forward as the population continues to sort of evolve, and in my opinion, sort of rebalance back to what it was before uh, the Louisiana Purchase. It, it's just that that quote-unquote, old Mexican region of, of America uh, is going to be more evenly dispersed uh, throughout the country now. Historical black uh, colleges and universities, we can do a whole show on just that topic. Of uh, the goods, the bad, the controversy, yeah, I'm going to have to move forward soon, y'all. My lunch is burning. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird has been removed from the reading curriculum in the UK. It's been read, read since he was in school, and he's 55. Uh, so it's been read since the 60s, and, and for sure, you know. Yeah, they removed um, Tom Sawyer from public schools here in America, uh, primarily for the usage of the word nigga, but also for um, other cultural references and, and nuances around race that are deemed politically incorrect today. I hear you, Kevin Brooks. All of our ages are being told today. All of us are showing up on 
Let me go back to the phone lines before I uh, before I move forward. Uh, let's see, Eric code nine five one. Eric code nine five one. Greetings, Eric code nine five one. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Greetings, Neophyte Bocor, Rollins. Oh, okay. um, it's been a long time since I called in. I've been oh, I, I've been having my hands completely full. Uh, but I, I heard you when, you when you said you wanted to get an update. I can update you about as much as I can right now because it, it, it is really weird out here on this road as far as the loads are, are concerned with being shipped back and forth. Um, but what I'm seeing would frighten most people if they, don't, if they didn't know what they were looking for or if they didn't have anybody who can like, explain it firsthand. I mean, because it's really a matter of money being exchanged while your your shelves um, are empty right now. Uh, I, I can't really say it in any lighter terms other than you're being corralled. You're being moved in a certain direction. The, there's plenty of loads out here. The, the food is uh, being produced and it's being moved. Hello? Hello, hello. I hope I can still be heard. My phone took a dive. Yeah, I can hear you now. Are you going to be able to fix it? Are you still with us? Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah. So you're suggesting right, that, um, as far as you're concerned, from from transportation, um, th- nothing seems out of the ordinary to you. Nothing. nothing. Nothing's really out of the ordinary at all, as far as uh, transporting the goods and um, to the warehouses. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm on my way now to pick up. The one thing that we keep seeming to have a shortage of, and that is chicken. Chicken, we've always we've had a shortage on chicken in the market mm-hmm. um, in the marketplace. We've had a shortage of beef. Um, I I just transported a load of beef uh, amongst many other trucks. It didn't seem like anything was short. The only thing that seemed out of um, out of place was the precautions that they're taking when the products are coming in and going out, going to their uh, respective uh, businesses where they'll be processed, in, like, say, your, your fast foods, and which and going to their different stores. Now, um, all of these companies, like, say, Costco and Walmart and things of that nature, they have a policy in place, and they've always had this policy, to where... If your load is late, you have a fear late. If you're early, you have a fee that you have to pay. You have no other option other than to be on time. There's the flooding of the transportation department, uh, uh, department, the uh, commercial industry, with new drivers that just can't necessarily make their loads on time is contributing to 
why we're we're short. A lot of new drivers out here, and they're getting accustomed to these uh, these policies, these fees, and these uh, these load denials. Costco has a very bad habit of denying loads that are an hour late, a half hour late. Okay, so, so hold on. So when you say, uh-huh. um, you know, the new drivers, that does suggest that there's some truth in the reports that are suggesting that the problem is, is um, as DP said, logistics, and they're, they just don't mm-hmm. have enough people. They're suggesting there just aren't enough people who are willing to take these jobs uh, or, or who are already trained and ready to go in terms of taking yeah. these, these jobs? I would say the, the only um, the only con- real contributing factor is the fact that the, the, there's, there's a lack of training. But that doesn't explain um, how many drivers are actually being introduced. There's plenty of drivers. So even though there's a lack of training... Hold on. Uh-huh. Hold on for a second. Uh-huh. Okay, we. I, I'm going to say we, even though I am not going to use her name right now. But Copy. we all know someone on the West Coast who works in shipping and receiving, we'll say, and right now she uh-huh. can't get trucker. She can't get drivers. She desperate for drivers. Like yeah, um, the West Coast is um, the the West Coast is. Um, Particularly northern west west coast uh, west coast area, and uh, northern midwest to uh, northeast, um, drivers just don't want to go up there. So there's a lot of drivers, but they don't want to go to these areas that are either a high risk for you know, the virus and whatnot, or they don't know how to drive in the weather. Weather conditions, and they know that these that this weather is about to this weather is about to act up. This weather we, we know is getting ready to, to. We've already experienced dumping of snow, um, really bad uh, storms rolling through. Um, and if you got a lot of new drivers, they're not going to know how to perform in these conditions. So flat out, drivers are afraid to go to these places. So and their companies are accommodating them. But that means that there's nobody to pick up in those areas anymore. And Drivers Chef Boo says also, um, should we be worried about them trying to pass legislation to allow 18-year-olds the ability to get a CDL, and they're going to be driving an 18, you know, 80,000-pound vehicle? Now, now I was, it's already now, been legal for um, 18-year-olds to drive. They just can't go international. They can't go across state lines. They can be in the state. They just can't go across the state lines. You have to be 21 and older for that because you have alcohol. Um, uh, you have a- alcohol licenses that you have to get in order to transport certain loads. And it's a requirement across state lines. You, every state has a different um, alcohol, uh, uh, I guess you would say, uh, age, set of laws. Age, yeah, age, yeah, age of maturity. Yeah, I understand what you're yeah. trying to say. I get it. Yeah, I yeah. do. 
and, and you know, Chef Bougie, I say you're letting them go to you know to war. We we letting them yeah. you know carry heavy you know heavy artillery and machinery. So you're letting twelve um, year olds choose their sexuality. Um, you might as well go ahead and give them more rights and control of them. I'm not for it. It, it it's weird. You put a rifle in their hands, but they can't buy alcohol. Okay, got it. Sure. Yeah. And Chef Bougie is also speaking to the the infrastructure, which I'm very yes. familiar with. I mean, the roads, the bridges, the overpasses, the East Coast, you know, Philly, certain uh, New York, New Jersey, certain parts of Baltimore, you know, certain parts of D.C. even that have not been, you know, renewed or modernized are, are just not prepared for the amount of weight and traffic demand uh, that is being put on these streets. I know just here uh, at the crossroads where I live, uh, my entire house shakes at a certain time of morning. And I know it's because those, uh, you know, Pepsi trucks, beer trucks, you know, mm-hmm. Water trucks are, are, are rolling through that intersection. My whole house shakes. Yeah. I mean, you get it, um, weight limits on a lot of roads and whatnot. But when gentrification comes into your neighborhood, they also um, kick out the trucks as well. Now, it's already a Spartan lifestyle. We, we live pretty hard out here on the road, and there's few places that we can go and be comfortable. Uh, but when we have to deliver into the uh, into the city and whatnot that has noise ordinance and we get cited for having uh, vehicles that are either A, too loud or B, too wide, um, it, it discourages a lot of uh, drivers from even bothering wanting to take loads into the, that, that area. So it, it's a perfect storm kind of uh, situation. It's... Uh, I can't really go too far into that. I mean, every state has its own uh, form of gentrification, but it's gentrification nonetheless. You go in and you can only drive into the into the um, into the town during certain times, in order to make like you have to really hurry up, quickly get in, get out. But then you get to the warehouse and they want to take four, five, and six hours to unload you. Now you have to figure out, well, okay, I don't have enough time legally on my clock to, to get anywhere. Now I have now. You have to get a ticket. Great. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a trap, sort of. But, I mean, it, it's negotiable if you know how to do it. But I worry about, the again, the new drivers that just don't know how to manage this sort of craziness. I've been well, out you- here 15 years at least. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm no newbie, but, you know, my first years coming out, this scared the crap out of me. Okay. Eric code uh, 954, are you with me? Eric code yes. 954. Greetings, peace and blessings. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Denise, and I'm calling from Florida. How may I assist you? Oh, okay. 
I just wanted to see, I know sometimes that you do many readings on the line, so I'm just wondering if you saw anything in my future or anything that's currently transpiring and what I should do. Yeah, I, I don't do general readings um, live on air. You can always oh, okay. uh, you can always send me an email request at divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com, and I'll be more than uh, happy to assist you. Okay. Thank you kindly. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for listening and participating. My caller number is area code 845. 277 When you're ready with your question, comment, or request, please press the number one on your telephone keypad. I'll be more than happy to unmute your mic and bring you into the conversation. Uh, we indeed are acknowledging All Saints Day, All Souls Day, um, the Day of the Dead, and all of its applications throughout the ATR, the Pan-African, um, world community, uh, but we were just taking a, a moment to acknowledge one of our uh, regular co-hosts, uh, Chef, not Chef Bougie, Rollins, um, and uh, Neophyte Bocour. Many of you know him as Neophyte Bocour. Um, in, in terms of, you know, just what's happening in the reality of our, of our stores, many of you are shopping, uh, and it's suggested that you be shopping for Christmas and Thanksgiving and New Year's right now considering um, the availability of, of, of certain products, you know, that are on the shelves. So I certainly wanted to check in with you um, about that. And, and the price yeah. of meat for those meat eaters out there uh, just seems to keep uh, going up to just a, in a, a ridiculous amount. So when we think about, you know, ancestral acknowledgement in a time where we could have run out to the yard uh, to grab a chicken um, many of you now can't and don't have that luxury uh, just to feed your own families, just to feed your own household. So it's important that we, you know, where we can, and to the best of our ability, recreate not just the practices and the ritual, and, you know, and traditions, but the lifestyle and the access and availability to the resources that go along with the lifestyle that, that, that come along with it so that we can feed ourselves. <clears throat> Go ahead, Robin. All right. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree more. Um, but uh, about trying to get an understanding of what's going on, uh, the warehouses are just not pushing out the uh, the products to the stores. The line of trucks are still out there. The line of trucks are still bringing in, despite the uh, adversities and the hardships. We're still out here. We're all, all the drivers still out here facing adversity every day. The pandemic didn't stop no truck drivers, if you've noticed. We've been out here front and center, face-to-face, COVID or not, making sure that basically this country keeps moving. None of us have been back down, back down from it. And none of us showed any fear, to be honest with you, of it, you face down that demon in me. So I, I, I but just. I, uh, but, it's, but is that, but is that really strength? 
Is that really mm-hmm. power or is that sort of a Western uh, sense of entitlement? You know, even, even for black people, I, I find that some yep. people are, yep. are, are just now taking anything COVID seriously, just now. Uh, or, yes. or just now taking any of, you know, what's happening around us, you know, sort of seriously. So I think that taint of Western um, expectation and entitlement affects all of us to some degree. If you if you aren't doing what your mafia is doing, which is have a yard full of chicken, if you don't have, you know, goats in your yard, if you don't have, you know, herbs and vegetables and produce, you know, in your in your yard, I question right now, and not you personally, um, I'm neophyte, mm-hmm. anybody who's listened to us, I question how seriously our people are, are really getting it, are, are really taking the message. Um, I like how Shamafia talked about, you know, enjoying each other instead of buying gifts. You know, that's not very far removed from me saying, you know, we're buying candles from the Botanica, you know, you're getting herbal you know, products from, from your GNC, but we're not growing these things, sharing these things, accessing these things, you know, among ourselves. So we're, we're codependent on you as an 18 dollar yep. to, to get our, our food to the big box store, to get our supplies from location, you know, to, to, lo- to location, because too many of us are still just not prepared. And, and I feel, okay. you know, geographically, yeah, um, because of hurricanes and storms, we might be just a little bit prepared because we already know how to store water, how to store food, you know, how to prepare for the, for, for the rainy day. But my imagination can just envision, you know, families in the suburbs and these, you know, communities where almost every house looks like the next one. You know, where you have to have a car to get, you know, three miles, five miles to, to the closest, you know, shopping center, shopping, you know, distribution establishment. But if the, the supplies aren't getting there, what are we really going right. to do w- w- when the shit hits the fan? Uh, we're going to be running around <laughs> like chickens with our heads cut off. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be in a panic. But I feel like that's exactly what our marketplace wants us to be doing. There's absolutely no reason why we can't have this stuff on the shelves. There's absolutely no reason, except for the market. I mean, like, stock market, not just the marketplace or the store. I'm talking about the stock market. What happened when COVID hit? The stock market flexed. Rather than taking a a huge dive, it seemed to have flexed its actual muscle. And, and, and people with fat wallets and huge bank accounts took notice of that. And the greed set in. Where, where the drivers are going shows exactly um, that kind of manipulation and that, that kind of control. That, that just, it, it seems to be veiled, like behind a shadow wall or something, like you can't really see it. It looks like conspiracy or something. But now there's no veil. 
Now you can see it for yourself. The internet allows people to jump into the stock market all, I mean, you know, with no experience at all and, and actually do well. And now everybody has more of an understanding. And now you can see the exchange of money, the exchange of, of dollars hand over fist, to, you know, in the way that people with big bank accounts want it to move into. And that's going to take shape. That's going to take a form. Only thing is, nobody likes it because now your, your shelves are empty. Your shelves are bare. I, I, I say this, I've said this before in several other places that uh, black people, we pretty much make things popular. So we actually have a great power over the, the, the market. The, um, the Wall Street uh, uh, rely on what we make popular. And if we show that being afraid is popular, guess what? They're going to capitalize on that. They're going to push you in that direction. But lately we've been showing a lack of fear. Now we have to find something else that makes us afraid. And this is it. This is it right here. Fear. Bare shelves. What's going to happen when uh, another wave hits where people are actually getting uh, um, sick from the, the, the vaccine itself? What if that happens? We already have to have a booster shot before six months is even up. It happens then. <clears throat> you can be an uproar and try to run to the shelves, but the shelves are going to already be bare. Right? It, that's what's going on here. I mean, and that's my personal opinion, but, you know, that's what it seems like. Like, if we're in a panic, we went to the shelves, we stocked up on everything. Now the next time that happens, the, the shelves are going to be empty. Go to war with, uh, with each other. The rats in a maze being forced to fight amongst each other. I hate to say it that way, but that's exactly what's going on here. And people with big bank accounts are the ones behind it. Okay. Plenty of people that need to be working for these warehouses to be able to load these trailers up. It happens. There's no reason why it needs to take six hours to unload just one truck. <laughs> I'm just saying. But they, claim they don't, but they claim they don't have the employees and that many people um, have not returned back to work. And in some cases, it suggests that people will not return back to work. Um, now that we've sort of gone through, you know, two years of the pandemic. Um, well, here, here's some bad news. Um, I think we have some people who, you know, didn't realize that they were slaves, didn't understand to what degree that they were slaves until the pandemic. Right. And well, certainly here's those people well, are looking for other options or are not returning to work, you know, altogether. But 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 I, I don't know if that's the case across, you know, industries. Right. Um, uh, Amazon, primary example. Um, who do you think is uh, loading the train uh, the trailers on on their end? Um, uh, fewer and fewer people are actually loading the trailers, and more machines are are loading the trailers. 
is less and less people loading the trailers right now with Amazon than um, than people are really. I, I can't put it in a better words. Let me, let me say it like this: People are afraid to go back to work. Well, guess what? They don't care if you're afraid to go back to work because they have a machine that loads the trailer that takes your place. It's already done. That's that's that right there is completed. You're afraid to go to uh, work if you're a cashier and you work at Walmart. Well, guess what? Everybody is self-checking out now. So there's no need for you to be there. You look at the little bullpen corral of places, of, of spots where you have to check yourself out, and then you look at how many registers are next to it. you got like 20 or 30 registers on right in the middle. No cashiers. But they've been like that for the last 15 years. Okay, Eric code eight five six. Eight five six. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Hey, this is Chef Fuji. How you doing? Okay, all the best to you, Yeah, um the the problem with the, the eighteen year older that's driving is everybody well not everybody knows this, but when you take a your C D L test, you, you go to driving school to learn how to pass the test. You don't go to school to learn how to be a driver. So when you get into actual conditions, you're going to make mistakes. And some of the freight that you haul, you can't afford to make a mistake. And you can't really be out in the public around people because if you've ever seen, I've always seen young, experienced drivers drive and ride right up on the tail bumper of a person that's that's in traffic. And you can't you can't do that because you don't have the same stopping distance that they do. You don't have the same maneuverability that they do, but that comes with time experience being exposed to certain situations that you got out of. And that, that, that's how that happens. Now I haul gasoline. Now, if, if I stop hauling gasoline, then all the rest of those trucks, truckers out there, I haul gasoline, I haul diesel. If us diesel guys stop hauling, then everybody else stops because there's nothing for you to for you to use for to transport. You can't. You don't have any fuel, so that's a problem right. too. And then getting into the petroleum business, hauling fuel, is a very critical job because first of all, you can be drug tested at any time. So you first have to realize and understand that you can't do any drugs whatsoever. You can't smoke weed. You can't even rub yourself with CBD oil because you can be stopped at any time. You can be drug tested at any time. Your Twit card, you have to have that because you're hauling hazmat. You have to be fingerprinted to haul hazmat. You have to be fingerprinted to get a Twit card. So all of those things, if, if you're a young man and you got a few blemishes on your, back, on your record, you're not going to get in the door. Those are facts. But I find it strange, though, about the, the CBD and the uh, THD and marijuana usage, uh, where most states legalize it to a certain degree. They legalize it to a certain degree to where now you got CBD that is actually sold in the truck stops, but yet it's still technically federally illegal. Like, is that a trap? Am I, am, am, am I 
am I missing something here? But, no, uh, that's exactly it. It's a trap. Hmm. Because at any time, if the first time that young person goes out there and gets into a really bad accident and they got marijuana in their system, the lawsuits are coming. Well, yeah, uh, lawsuits are going to come if you sneeze the wrong way. I mean, Mothers Against Truck Drivers have been going after trucks for a long time. But, again, that depends on the state you're in. be ranting again. But I, I, I find it very strange, especially when I look at the advertisements for the CBD, how they're advertised, what companies are are you know, well-paid or have pockets deep enough to be able to afford these um, these advertisements and to be able to fit the bill to be, quote-unquote, legal, right? And then I look at, well, here we go again, conspiracy. Um, black people who have been pretty much in this industry before it was legal <laughs> and still kind of suffering from not being able to cash in on these uh, on these um, advances, uh, it it's kind of going off into another tangent, uh, like another branch of the conversation. But down to whether or not is it a trap, who's capitalizing on it, who suffers from it, right? But that's just CBD. I mean, trying to stay on subject um, yeah. with. Uh, uh, with whether or not we're going to have another shortage, we just had a salmonella outbreak of, um, for uh, for onions, but it's very very particular onions. Um, very particular onions couldn't hit the shelves, right? It seemed like the only onions that couldn't uh, that that had this uh, salmonella were the ones that were coming from south of the border. Magically, they are the only onions that have salmonella, the ones that are not labeled, the ones that are prepackaged, the ones that are kind of uh, uh, pre-bagged. Uh, again, very interesting that just those onions are the ones that you have to worry about. Is that hard so, to keep um, track of? Um, you, you, you things being harder to keep track of. I mean, there are aspects to, to what you are saying, um, as well as, you know, what's being talked about right now in the chat in, in relation to the vaccine, you know, or to not back. There's a great deal of manipulation that is happening in terms of numbers and how numbers are perceived and viewed, and particularly within our community, who has been the victims of, of miseducation, misrepresentation, uh uh, COINTELPRO, you know, for, for generations. But somehow we, we believe, and particularly right now in, in, in 2021, that we're the smartest and most detail-oriented that we somehow have ever been. And I'm suggesting it's just, you know, a symptom of having a cheap device. It's just a symptom of everybody has access to Google, Bing, Search, well, 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 let me let me look that up. Well, let me research that. And, and we're walking around now as if we, you know, are experts now, or somehow better experts in in arenas that our ancestors didn't navigate, didn't navigate, you know, without a problem. Our grandparents, right. 
often who were very uneducated, couldn't read in, in, in many cases, but managed to navigate the, the pandemics and the propagandas and, and, and what's being said, you know, you know, on TV or, or in the pop culture versus what, what we say in our community and, and then being able to weigh that, you know, sort of against the truth. I think in terms of that people, you know, the Taiwan and the higher numbers, I think what you're seeing there is, is something that you're seeing here, which is people are, are, who are, you know, sort of getting vaccinated are then going on to act as if there's no pandemic. You know, everything's good now. Every, everything's back to normal now. We can sit up on each other. We can, and, and you still have to follow pandemic protocols. So I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked by the number uh, in, in Taiwan. And where the word game is coming in, they're not getting COVID from the vaccine. That's not what the original news broadcast said. They said that more people are testing for COVID now to outpace the number of those who, you know, vaccine versus unvaccinated. So, again, I think it's about people getting lax. People are, are tired of sitting in their house two years going in. You know, people's life, whole lifestyles have changed, you know, because of, of the pandemic. And so, you know, we were looking for, particularly in the West, the quick bullet, you know. And, and so many people treat the vaccine as if it somehow was and is the quick bullet. And why are we seeing the same sort of numbers happening in Africa? You know, I check into all Africa every morning, every morning, and they have their own special COVID, you know, 19 pandemic unit, which if you remember, they, they already had a way of tracking Ebola and other, you know, diseases and outbreaks in Africa over the entire, you know, continent. And you're not seeing those numbers being sort of uh, mirrored there. You are seeing those numbers being mirrored in some uh, more localized uh, European regions. Again, where I think people are, are, are tend to be a little bit more lax in, in the notion that, you know, okay, I, I got the vaccine, so now I don't have to wear a mask. You know, now I can, you know, do, do my normal, you know, Activity, and, and I think that has been further confused by all the mixed messages that we get from the CDC, from the government, from the president, from your radio, the TV, your newspaper, you know. And so it's real easy for us, I believe, in, in this day of, of information and knowledge to give in or, or be exposed more to the conspiracy theory than even our ancient ancestors may have without any technology at all, where they were super reliant on word of mouth and people's ability to sort of repeat uh, a story, you know, as accurately as possible, you know, without entirely destroying, you know, the, the original message. I'm taken aback by people who don't watch TV, who don't read the news, who don't listen to the radio, but claim to know so much more about politics or the vaccine or 
or, you know, daily happenings than, you know, those of us who really go out of our way to sort of keep up to date, you know, on what's happening. So I, I appreciate you all in, in your, your commentary and your opinions and, and the like. Are, are you all still with me on Blog Talk Radio? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, Shamafia, we should be building our immune system no matter what. But again, I think that's the kind of information that's just popularized right now. Uh, it's trending, vegan, vegetarian, immune system, you know, we'll, we'll say since the day of Dr. Sabi, that language is just as sort of popularized, you know, as almost anything else that's, you know, discussed in social media that, that gets any, you know, strong rating, sex, relationships politics, you know, et cetera. But again, I don't think when we think of our ancestors, you know, our great-grandparents, and I know some of y'all are young, so I need to say great-great-great-grandparents. <laughs> Maybe it's just a sort of dated past uh, 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 the 60s, but um, it, it's, it's just language that we say, you know, that we use now, that, that, that we're all exposed to every day in, in your Twitter stream or, or in your email, you know, news stream. Uh, but our, our ancestors, our grandparents, our elders who didn't have technology, who necessarily didn't have TV, for instance, if we go back to before the 50s, you know, didn't have TV but only had radio, only heard the advertisements, the news, what was, you know, talk and discuss. How did they manage to survive and raise generations after them to survive in this like world that. with all of these parables, without all that propaganda. That uh, brings to mind, uh, strangely enough, uh, Aunt Julia Brown. Aunt Julia Brown, her story um, kind of speaks on that, like, consequences of not having or, or not getting the message, basically. I mean, you had a train that basically passed through that area. And if I'm not mistaken, black folks like to uh, drop off newspapers when they get a chance. Right? In a certain areas. So like we didn't have access to that stuff because we weren't allowed to. And then we had our own newspapers that weren't being distributed as well. So, you know, we had to had to make do. We had to hustle. Mm-hmm. And then they would mm-hmm. drop off newspapers in, in those areas. Commonly would do that. Now, I'm just thinking, if that was going on, and that, and that just so happened to not reach its destination before, it got there. But not everybody was paying attention to the um, to the message that was in the newspaper about the storm coming in, whereas Aunt Julia Brown had an ear to the ground, knowing what was going on, was trying to you know deliver a message to folks, but they weren't hearing it because they had certain things that they ways that they felt about her in the first place when they shouldn't have. They had a certain amount of yeah. 
I, I agree, I'm, and I think the opportunities for that are even greater today uh, because of social media, you know, because of TikTok and Instagram. I think the opportunities for the, the last part you said, people having some kind of feeling about you or the information or what's being said, I think are greater today. And that's why, hence, we have much more um, propaganda to sort of wade through, you know, uh, as opposed to certain aspects of our, our most recent historic past. I mean, I'm sure you would agree that it took a great deal of ongoing propaganda just to sort of hold slavery together uh, for, for the duration uh, that they did. And certainly when we look at things like Juneteenth, like uprising. You know, they certainly tried to temper that information, keep that information from spreading, from growing, you know, to other plantations, you know, to other uh, communities, because we would then, you know, in their understanding, in their mind, get ideas. You know, we, we would then be encouraged to take risks that we otherwise would not, you know, sort of be exposed to. But today now with the Internet, uh, not only are people sort of speaking, you know, to real questions and concerns, but people's very imaginations and fantasies and, and inner horrors and inner nightmares are sort of being uh, acted out, you know, in, in social media. You, you can always find someone else who's just as depraved as you. You can always find someone else who's looking for just as deep, of, uh, you know, depth of information as you are. Uh, you can always find someone else that's looking for the newest song, the newest music, the newest, you know, recipe, but, but it opens the, the gate to us now being uh, manipulated from outside our community. Everybody who, everything is not what it appears to be online, obviously. Uh, I, I shared a post in my Instagram the other day about a, a black bodysuit. No, no, I mean a black bodysuit, the mask, the hands. Everything, you know, it's, you know, Halloween costume, movie costume, but it's a black man none, nonetheless uh, with the white guy inside of it who you could just barely tell is there. You know, he doesn't have makeup on underneath, so you do see just a little bit of white, his skin showing through the eyes of the mask. Uh, he held his arm up in the video, and so you can see this upper part where the, the, the glove ends and then the rest of his skin begins, you know, that's the only way you could really tell, you know, that there's a white guy in this black bodysuit. So, so the point I'm making is, you know, with virtual reality, AI, tell just good old trickery, faking, and hacking, you know, we now are much more open to accepting and receiving information from outside of our community that has not been tested, that has not been vetted with this modern technology than I'm offering 100 years ago, where you would have had to trust the neighbor, family member, the, the, you know, your sister who overheard Miss Nellie telling so-and-so the truth about something and, and that information being protected. To today, people setting up to deceive you setting up whole profiles, whole identities, whole news outlets, whole websites primarily 
with the design to hoodwink you. And so I think that the, the level of, of uh, uh, propaganda, the level of conspiracy theory, it's just at an all-time high. And, and I think it will, you know, as I don't know about in our lifetime, but certainly as technology continues to move forward, um, it's going to reach a, a boiling point. It will burn itself out at, at some point. And so we're either then going to not believe, just like TV, we're either then going to not believe anything that we, that we read, see, or, or experience, you know, in, in the Internet, or we're going to have, which the latter I think is the more likely, we, we will have developed a greater sense of sort of uh, gatekeepers, uh, even automated ones perhaps, to help us, you know, sort of weed through uh, the propaganda. We certainly want to do it for ourselves. Thank you, Rollins. Um, I'm, I'm going to be wrapping up. Thank you, thank you. Um, we, we certainly want to do better a job at sort of critiquing information for ourselves. We, we don't want to leave it in the hands of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, Instagram, you know, to come up with a new algorithm, some new technology you know, that, to help validate, you know, what we say or, or what we do or, or what we post. So there will have to be an element of that that's going to come from, from the very belly of the community itself in terms of how we judge information that we, that we see and, and receive. Even when we're looking at ritual and ceremony, you know, the, the, the books are a dime a dozen. I don't know if they cost a dime. Uh, anymore, but but the books are a dime a dozen. The authors are a dime a dozen. The 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 content for all manner of uh, witchery and spell work and how to set up an altar and how to set up a, a shrine is just as generic, you know, as as comic books once were before they you know fell by by the wayside and, and moved on to a better uh, degree of technology. So I'm going to move forward. Uh, I'm certainly grateful for those of you who stuck with me for the two hours. I certainly look forward to meeting you here again at high noon, U.S. Central Standard Time on both StreamYard and Block Talk Radio and all the social media outlets that can hear and see and, and view me at this time. Thank you, um, uh, Chef Bougie and uh, Rollins for calling in and participating. Please indeed enjoy your family. Enjoy the rest of your ancestral acknowledgement, the rest of your uh, all saints and all souls, the rest of your uh, day of the dead. Uh, please take that time to spend with your family and, and with your ancestors, both living and, and on the other side. And I look forward to connecting with you here again at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time. All is truly and indeed a blessing. Ashe, Ashe, all and Ashe. Thank you, everyone. Um, I'm so hungry right now. Thank you, Shamafia, always, always. Nina Lloyd, everyone who, who stopped by. Thank you, uh, Blog Talk Radio. Congo Square.
The Omus Indians. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our hosts, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our hosts. The colonizers came and pushed aside our hosts and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de gras cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate, a world harrowed by the beat, be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums, heart beat, heart beat. Heart be at this place, at this place be heart be be we beating place in new world space 
beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be bonza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy. Must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out of us. But no matter... No matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day, a feel, a feel without shade, but dark, dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades, eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember. To beat, to be, beat Congo Square, be Congo Square, beat, be, beat, be. Congo 
Remember, remember, 